From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you wherever you may be. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Mike Douglas with you along with our producer and co-host Elaine Harlan. And of course our faithful prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey with us as well. And a special night tonight with uh, wonderful friends and uh, you know I was... Uh, thinking, you know, which I do on occasion, kind scary. of a New Year's thing. I've I've tried that, <laughs> and uh, as scary as it may be, it's uh, it's just working. But I was thinking of of the people who have great influence uh, on our lives. Uh, you know, of course, uh, uh, think of my dad and grandpa, mother, of course, and uh, you know, but also uh, in in the ministry after coming to Modesto, uh, spending many years in in government, uh, some some great people. Yes. Have uh, you know have have been a part of my life and and they're here tonight. A lot of those folks Sorry. and uh, great friends. Uh, Pastor Daryl Fair mm-hmm. from uh, the Renaissance Christian Center and and, and Daryl, you know, uh, you, you and I, uh, you and I are on the same page of music, except for one page, and that's the fight song. We have different fight songs, you know. And uh, Daryl, of course, is an aficionado of the Big Blue. That's great. Michigan. And, and, and here, Daryl, a little thing for you. I noticed you played it real low. <laughs> yes, well, the USC fight song comes a little bit later, but... Uh, <laughs> and I guarantee you it'll be a lot louder. <laughs> it's just not right, is it? <laughs> uh, but, Daryl, great to have you with us and, and wonderful mm-hmm. to partner with you and, and uh, to, to have been able to visit... Uh, your congregation and and uh, been part of serving folks. Uh, so great to have you with us. And then, you know, the we we lovingly call him the Bush, Bishop. Is he the Cardinal now, Ross? Anyway, Charlie Crane and Sherry so. with us. And and Charlie, what what a blessing to this area. And learned so much uh, from you over the years. And then, you know, God puts some people in your lives to keep you humble. And um, Ross Bryles, Pastor Ross Bryles, uh, is one of those. But I learned a lot from him, and I often say that, you know, God used him as a can opener to kind of open my head and, and uh, really learn a lot about city reaching. And so we've got a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. here in the room, uh, you know, <laughs> me notwithstanding. But So we brought some good <laughs> wisdom in. And uh, we're just going to have a wonderful time uh, this, this afternoon, this evening, and talking about uh, ministry and city reaching and relationships and uh just, we just buckle your seatbelt it's going to mm-hmm. be a, going to be a great time before we get to that though let's check in with our friends from voice of the martyrs what will people think when they hear that i'm a jesus freak what will people do if they find that it's true 
Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with a word for Jesus Freaks from the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 8. Jesus said, If any of you want to be my followers, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you will destroy it. But if you give up your life for me and for the good news, you will save it. Then he said, Don't be ashamed of me and my message among these unfaithful and sinful people. If you are, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Well, hey, I do not want to bring shame to Jesus, my Savior. I will take up my cross. Will you join me? Will you stand with the voice of the martyrs? Go online to persecution.com. Back with you here on Lighthouse Live. And uh, a couple of us, uh, we're, we're at the prayer summit that we have every year together, Ross, uh, up in Old Oak Ranch. And a uh, great, great time to be together with God on the mountain where you can't hardly get cell phone reception. That's probably a blessing, I think. And uh, one of the things, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of like, and, and forgive the, uh, you know, drawing this um, line here, but it's kind of like Las Vegas, you know, uh, what's said there stays there. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that keeps things uh, safe. Probably the uh, only thing that's like Las Vegas, I would imagine. Well, the, yeah, that's why I was saying I, I use that some, somewhat with reservations. But um, w- one of the beautiful things is there's a lot of trust up there. There's a lot of safety, and pastors are able to just bear their hearts and, and you know, together before the Lord. It's a wonderful time uh, every year just, just to uh, commune together in the presence of, of the Lord. But I was thinking as we were listening to the voice of the martyrs there, uh, Ross, that, that one of the uh, areas that we delved into are, are those things that God calls us to sacrifice, you know, when we take up our cross and, and, and follow him. And I think for all of us uh, individually, that may vary, but also some, some commonalities as well. And, you know, this, this is not a, a pretty shiny uh, fight here that the Lord has put us in. This battle often uh, gets uh, gets ugly at times and, and wearing, but, uh, you know, God gives us the strength to uh, to press on and press through it. And I think everybody in this room uh, has a slightly different version of taking up their cross and, and following God. And, and Charlie uh, Crane, wonderful book, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later. It's called Image of a Black Father. And uh, I encourage you, if you're listening, to get a hold of this book, is it available still locally, Charlie? Uh, Over, uh, you can get it through Amazon. Amazon.com. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, .com. And um, I think I have a few in my garage someplace. <laughs> <laughs> Came out a few hundred. Is that what? <laughs> published in, uh, I think, 2007. Uh, yes. Right. And it is a, a wonderful read, by beautifully written. Uh, but it, it just gives us some incredible insights into influences and uh, some some very uh, difficult days, Charlie, that, that you went through. But you look at what God has done in, in your life and how he even took those very um, detrimental and, and uh, horrible days, really, and, and turned your anger in, into something wonderful for the rest of us to learn from and to bless this city uh, through your ministry. And so we'll be talking about that a little bit later. And, of course, you know, what would we do without your helpmates? 
And, you know, the sense I got from your book, Charlie, is, is that wonderful woman sitting right. next to you. Boy, how could we do what we do without our helpmates? We're coming up on 50 years this oh, June. Amen. Congratulations. Awesome. June 10th. Yes. Is that right? 50 years. Right. 50 yes. years. Amen yes. to that. Well, we'll be talking to Charlie about that a little bit uh, later. But remember, friends, uh, it's called The Image of a Black Father by Charlie Crane. Uh, really recommend that you, uh, that you read through it. Awesome. Let's check in now with our friend Brad Dacus. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Happy New Year, but not happy for the First Amendment. You see, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, infamous for its hostility toward religious liberty, ruled recently that the Mount Soledad Cross violates the Establishment Clause. First erected in San Diego County in 1913, the 29-foot cross has served as a war memorial since 1954. Now, litigation began in 1989, and in 2006, the cross came under the jurisdiction of the federal government, specifically the Department of Defense. Well, the consequences of this Ninth Circuit decision are troubling. Well, the Pacific Justice Institute urges the Department of Defense to file a petition to the United States Supreme Court. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live, and we'll get to our exciting guest here in just a moment. Let's take a look at some opportunities for you to serve the Sierra Vista Child and Family Services with their 11th annual Hearts for Children Gala, Saturday, February 19th at St. Joseph's Catholic Church. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is their theme. I'm there. <laughs> we were talking about chocolate a little bit earlier. I, I think Wonderful I subject. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah I'm yeah. all for that. Volunteers ages 16 years and up are needed Saturday morning and early afternoon. Decorations going to move the auction and all of those cleanup items. Volunteers 18 years and up also needed to clean and close down the event. Uh, Sierra Vista has been helping abused, neglected, and emotionally disturbed children and families in crisis since 1972. And uh, the McHenry Mansion, where you can meet lots of people and join an enthusiastic and interesting group of docents, ages 18 years and older, learn about our local history and become knowledgeable about the late Victorian period, meet new friends and enjoy numerous social events and yearly trips while serving the community. We're all for that. The McHenry Mansion is a historical site that is open to the general public. And how about teaching someone to read? We're all about that, too. Reading Works, adult literacy program and GED preparation. Reading Works is providing a tutor orientation Wednesday, January 19th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. at Modesto Library Downstairs Auditorium. Reading Works, a partnership of the Stanislaw County Library and the Stanislaw Literacy Center providing free literacy services for adults who need to improve their basic academic skills in Stanislaw County. If you have any questions on any of these opportunities, call Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113, or email her at bborba at uastan.org. And some of the current needs within ABC include, you know, it's never a good time to be sick. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's never a good time for a flat tire or for your refrigerator to go out. But we have that in southwest West Modesto and also in the airport neighborhood. Families in need of refrigerators uh, that work 
and are in good, clean condition. We want to stress that to you. And this community has more than its share of folks who have no place to lay their heads uh, at night. Pastor Dale and I were just discussing a, a gentleman in uh, West Modesto who needs a bed, and we're talking twin beds, full beds. If you have a, a bed to donate, again, we ask that it be in the condition that you would like to receive it. Call us at 209 209- Five four four nine five seven one, and we'll pick it up and deliver it. It's just that simple. You know, we could also use some help with our furniture friends. Yes. And uh, yes. we we have some men that are out there uh, two, sometimes three days a week, and and what they do the whole day. <laughs> is they pick up furniture and appliances that are donated for needy families, and they deliver it. And uh, so it's a wonderful team. But look, look, friends, two of them are in their 70s. No offense, Ross, but... No, I'm just just saying. (laughs) No, Ross can whoop me with one hand behind his back, so I'm not worried about it. But, you know, they are in their 70s, and, and, you know, the the, the aches and pains sometimes come, and they could use some help. And so if you're available, they're often out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, If you're available just to help them schlep furniture around town and bless people, uh, they could sure use your Mm -hmm. help. And uh, the wonderful stories come out of that, the families that are being blessed by these pieces of furniture and a great way to minister to people. So if you're interested, let us know. Again, you can reach us at 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571 or... Check our daily update page at vibrantcommunities.org, vibrantcommunities.org. And but wait, I was there's more. Re, yeah, but wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, call Richmond 9. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that. that's from way the back when. The Ginsu Knives are next. Yeah, the Ginsu Knives. That's from a different era. Oh, uh, now you've lost my train of oh. thought, which is going down a different <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. track here. Furniture, friends. Where was I going with all I'm that? Sure. Anyway, oh, yeah, by the way, we're also on Facebook. For you Facebookers, uh, you can become a friend of ABC, and it's facebook.com backslash Advancing Vibrant Communities. And uh, we update that two or three times a day, and the daily update page updated two or three times a day as well, which all goes to prove with Facebook that you can teach this old dog a couple of new tricks. That's a good thing. How in the world did we manage to get these fine gentlemen in this room at the same time on the same day and in this It must be because you called hour. them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we truly are blessed and dear friends at home wherever you're listening you are blessed as all, as well and not one of you are a stranger to Lighthouse Live and you're back anyway. <laughs> We are amazed, and we're so glad that you are. I think Charlie uh, was here when. No, this is the first time Charlie has been here in our new building. Yeah. But Charlie was our first guest as we were, had a makeshift studio uh, when we were right. in the process right. of moving, and that's when we introduced his wonderful book. And Charlie, I couldn't put the book down when I started reading it. It was just absolutely it's awesome. Incredible. I'm glad yes. to hear that. Wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. And Daryl's work at the Renaissance Center, just awesome. And, of course, Ross Broyles, what, what can we say about all of the things that you've done? Just a quiet, gentle giant in this community. Ross is kind of like God's secret agent. You know, he, he kind of operates under the I, radar screen, but he's uh, he's involved in a lot of things that happen spiritually in the city. And, and, uh, and Charlie, what, what a great and history. He's been doing it for so long. He's so been, long. Yeah. Is that a nice way to say I'm old? <laughs> 
<laughs> the jewels. Been as long as I have, really. <laughs> the jewels of this city. If you put all of your experience, the three of you together, years and years worth of experience, and 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 Mike mentioned earlier, city reaching, and you truly do reach this city, each of you in your own special way, and and what you bring to this table tonight. We just can't wait as you share with us what you have to share. You know, Charlie is, is, is reflecting on this wonderful group uh, coming together tonight. You know, we, as, as dads, we, we hope that our, our children pick stuff up over the years. And, I, you know, I learned early on that, you know, lecturing is one thing, but I'm trying to li- think back to my boyhood and, and uh, thinking about what my grandpa told me, what my dad told me. But what was most impactful was what I saw them do. You know, how they walked out their faith and how they walked out, you know, the, the pearls of wisdom that, uh, that they had. And I, I just, especially at, and I, I kind of skimmed through your book again, uh, you know, for the second or third time, I think. And what is it, Charlie, that you would hope that your children and that those you have ministered to in Modesto, what is it that you would hope that they would learn from you from all the experiences that that you've had good and bad and the you know, the rough times and the and the great times what are some of the things that you hope that uh your children and the people of this city would learn from what God has has done in your life over the years one of the things that I think of right off the bat is the uh value of the family mm-hmm. uh I, I see that it's kind of slipping away from us now, you know. The the families are not staying together and praying together and dining together like they used to, you know. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's so many other things competing for their minds, like the uh, um, the TVs, the games, and the uh, all this new technology they have, you know. Um, but the family don't sit down to the table and communicate like they used to. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I uh, see as the uh, marriages, how they are, are falling apart. I mentioned a minute ago that my wife and I uh, will be married for 50 years on June mm, 10th, yes. uh, 2011. Um, and it's, it's it's not easy to stay together that long without, you know, some kind of ups and downs. And we've had them, but they've always seemed to draw us closer together, mm. you know, like losing our son at, yeah. uh, and, and and things like that. We use those tragedies and bad times to pull us together instead of set us apart. Mm. Um, <clears throat> there's so many, so many young kids now are growing up in single family, uh, single parent uh, homes. Uh, it just kind of scares me. Yeah. Um, my dad had 12 kids, as you know, and mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. book and, yes. um, he did farm labor work, but he was able to feed all 12 of those kids mm. and keep them together. And we ate together every night at the same table. And um, it was just, you know, it may not have been as, as, as well as some people eating today, but it was filling. It kept us here. Sure. And, and uh, you know, with the cost of living going up and everything, it seemed like the guys are worried if they have one or two kids and they don't want to support them or whatever. I don't know, but I, I wish there would um, would be something that they could see in the value of that family that they would stay together and and be responsible for the kids that they're bringing into the mm-hmm. world. 
Daryl Fair, you you have spent many years here in the Modesto area ministering to folks in the park and uh, doing a wonderful outreach through the Renaissance uh, Christian Center. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? And we we see the family being bu- made fun of in the media through television programs. I mean, you know, I think back to uh, All in the Family, and I think back to Roseanne, and you know, it just seems like over the years the media started chipping away and making mm-hmm. it, you know, yes. not fun of, of of the family. I'm sure you've seen the the repercussions of of the the blast that has happened in the families and and what that looks like many decades later with, with these folks that you're ministering to. I agree with Charlie. The the family is is key uh, to the cohesiveness in our uh, community. <clears throat> Matter of fact, the other day we had um, the chief of police come and speak to our community, and one of the things that he said was, um, most of the people that you talk to in the prison, somewhere around seventy percent, come from broken homes. Mm. So I think that's a startling statistic that lets us know that if we don't keep the family together, what the end result is going to be, not only emotionally but economically, because the uh, prison budget is one of the highest budgets and uh, one of the highest components of our budget in, in this state. Uh, we don't we no longer see uh, Father Knows Best or Leave it to Beaver or Ozzie and Harriet. You're absolutely right. We're seeing uh, single-family homes on TV. That seems to be what we uh, promote um, and uh, I know in our community, it's very rare to see married couples. Mm. Most uh, we see um, single-family homes. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of children because some of the people that are homeless lose their children to CPS. And so um, I agree with you, Charlie, that it's so important that we start really working on the families and keep that unit together having them sitting down at dinner time, having them uh, just talk to each other. A number of people have said that their children stay in the bedroom all day. They come down and eat. That's the only time they see them. And uh, usually they want to go back up in their bedroom to to have their meal while they play Nintendo or whatever games games they play. So if we can't keep the family together... Uh, just think what's going to happen to our s- social fabric of this country. Mm. So we've got yeah, this absolutely. communication problems. How does this parallel with what we're seeing in the violence area? Well, the other issue that you see, um, children are raising children. Uh, mm. I have a family in our community, and I certainly won't mention names, but there's a grandmother, a, ch- a mother, a child, and a great-grandchild. And uh, the grandmother is only 60 years old. So we're seeing children having children. Uh, one of the ladies that we're working with right now is 18 years old, has no electricity, dropped out of school at seventh grade. She's not on the lease, um, and she's not on the MID bill. So she sits in the dark waiting for someone to help her. Hmm. Can't get a GED unless they go to classes because if you leave school in the seventh grade, there's no way you're going to pass a GED exam. So um, we're seeing a lot of children raise children. What is an 18-year-old going to tell a child? She's still a child herself. Amen. Well, Ross, uh, you've you've how how many years now have you ministered in Modesto? Close to 50, right? We're getting closer to it, Michael. Every every day, we are in our 48th year. Amen. Of uh, in the same congregation, that tells you a lot about the congregation I serve. They have, they have um, 
great patience and great understanding. They're charitable and they put up with me a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we uh, and, and we're going to be talking about uh, you know how how God uses even the yucky stuff in our lives to leverage it later for for good. And I'm going to turn to Charlie for some comments on that in a minute. And uh, Ross, you and I had had the opportunity to uh, attend a, a Mission America event in, in Birmingham. Uh, Alabama this this past year, and you know I, I grew up in Los Angeles in in the uh, late uh, late sixties, early seventies, and uh, you know to to visit the places that we saw in the news, you know, and and to see the statues of of the children that were hit with the fire uh, fire hoses and. And I, you know, Elaine, you had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, to Israel, and, and walk where Jesus and the apostles walked. There's something about going to the places of history uh, that brings them to life a little bit. And I don't know about you, Ross, but I, I thought as we walked in that, you know, in that in that park where a lot of bad stuff, you know, happened in our, our nation's history, that it really kind of soberingly brought it to life. And I don't know how that uh, affected you, but there, there's something about being there where, where God did some amazing things, I mean, even during a turbulent time, that, that brings it home and, and hits home uh, a little bit. And, uh, you know, obviously you and I weren't in Birmingham, you know, during uh, during that time. And yet the stuff that happens there affects us in terms of building uh, relationships and, and crossing cultural boundaries. Any any lessons that, that you thought of? Anything? Any takeaways from Birmingham for you, Ross, as as we came back? Well, it's interesting to bring that up, Michael, today because today being Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, holiday, I happen to be at a meeting today where Reverend Hammonds from a suburb of Birmingham spoke, and he was referring to when he was just uh, when those fire hoses were turned on. Yeah. His mother was working in a downtown office, and at lunchtime she went out to join uh, those that were in the park. And so his uh, siblings and him were in the evening time or late afternoon at home, not realizing that uh, as they were watching the news program, there was a clip shown of the fire hoses being turned on the protesters or those marchers, and he saw his mother being uh, knocked down with the stream from those fire hoses. And as we walked through that park, as you mentioned, those were not just, uh, you know, garden hoses. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the nozzles on them were not your normal garden hose nozzle. <clears throat> and you being from fire background, you understand the force They put of out those. some pressure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But um, Reverend Hammonds was saying today that uh, not his – he didn't realize and his siblings didn't realize that they were watching something that had occurred earlier in the day. They thought they were watching an event happening at that moment mm. that involved their mother. Mm. So he said they uh, they gathered together, the, the children did, and they prayed and said, God, do something. Bring our mama home safe. Mm. And as they were praying, they heard the door open and in walked their mother. So he said, to this day, I know there's a God because he answered our prayer to bring Mama home safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I think that's a, a significant issue. Uh, and you were right as we walked there and then across uh, Caddy Corner from the church there where the girls were killed. 
All of those things, uh, I'm not going to sit here today and say I understand. I don't. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope I have a, a concern and an empathy, but I'm not going to say that I understand because I've never, I've never walked that road. But I, I find interesting that uh, one of the participants, uh, perpetrators maybe is a better term, of uh, that sort of action there, um, and Reverend Hammonds alluded to this today also, that this particular person said, we've got to close down the churches, we've got to impact the churches, because if those people continue to pray, God will be on their side. Hmm. Wow. And wow. so whenever I, I'd never heard that idea before, but anyway, just as a little bit of, you're right, uh, walking in that park, it was sobering to me. Yeah. The yeah. probably the other the time that I was sobered in a similar way was walking for, in Germany through yeah. Dachau, yes, which was the concentration camp for clergymen, um, mm-hmm. and. I walked through that, and I walked out into the courtyard, and in three languages, the following words were there, never again. Mm. And I stood before that monument, and I I cried Mm. because uh, I thought, you know, the horrendous things that we do to one another just uh, uh, goes beyond description. So that's more than you probably wanted, but you shouldn't have turned me loose with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I've learned with Ross, you know, you just give, give him an opening and, and God does some, some great things there. Uh, Charlie, we're going to head into a break here in, in just a moment and, and share, you know, I, I was going back and talking about TV shows of the 50s and the 60s and such. Got a wonderful song that's going to take you back, um, for friends, uh, to, to many decades ago and a, and a different time. But, uh, as, as we head into the break and on the other side of it, Charlie, um, I want to talk about after the break how God ministered to you through a lot of pain. Um, you, you look at your history, and, and man, you you were a you're a rough dude. I mean, you drinking and fighting, and I mean, you know, I, I'm reading this for the first time. I'm going, this isn't Charlie. This, this is not Charlie Crane. That I that can't be, you know. But it's very interesting, uh, you know, to see. I mean, you have a wild side there. And experienced um, a, a lot of uh, oppression. You know, thinking of of the military. You know, when when you had a right, you know, to uh, to certain things, and and that wasn't given you. And and uh, had you, you know, I think we're going. Was it Kentucky? And uh, you know, with the military, other guys in uniform. And, Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, I'm sorry, Memphis, Tennessee. And and you were made to go uh, around to the back and and eat at a at a separate table. A lot of opportunity to be bitter for the rest of your life. And, uh, and yeah, God did something, you know, later on. And so we want to talk about that, uh, how, how God uses all that stuff, not only to minister to you, Charlie, but also to be able to minister to us that, uh, that are also in the community with you. So I want to plant those seeds with you. Uh, and, uh, Lane got a, got a great song that's going to Take you back a couple of years. Not you personally, but our, our oh, audience. Not that you were there during that time. I'm digging a hole here, aren't I, you, on that you one? You are digging. Okay. You, you usually do. I'll that. let you introduce that, it then. That, that's Boy, okay. <laughs> that's okay. We actually did. We we dug way back in the archives uh, this week for a song Dion hit the charts with in 1968. 
as America pays tribute today to Martin Luther King Jr., Dion combines him in song with Abraham, Martin, and John on Lighthouse Live. Anybody here see my old friend Abraham? Can you tell me where he's gone? Dion on Lighthouse Live, Abraham Martin and John, as we pay tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. today. You know, don't, don't songs bring back places in your life and eras? Uh, this seems may like, maybe a strange comment, Daryl, but I was just thinking during that song, and that takes me back to days when USC was winning football games. But anyway, that's I uh, about uh, 1910. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, I was going to ask if. Oh my goodness! I was going to ask if that's ancient history. Yeah, well, that was the days of you know, qualifies, doesn't it? Thinking of Mike Garrett and uh, some of those old wonderful, wonderful. But anyway, uh, Charlie, let, let's come back to you now. Uh, you suffered a lot of, of racial oppression suffered a lot of death 
uh, in your life of, of loved ones. And let's just talk about how God took that equation that equaled Charlie Crane and then that time when you saw Jesus in a very real way and he touched your life and you know you were there at uh, what is uh, then first baptist now cross point and and uh, you were encouraged to go into the ministry by bill yeager a wonderful man of god that's that's now in the lord's presence let's just talk about that transition and and, and what god did in your life okay let me tell you a little bit about myself before we came to that transition like i was born in arkansas you know way back in the mid-30s i won't claim Beola's Ross, but it was... Well, there are a few people that... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, it was in the mid-30s, and uh, my dad came to California in uh, 1943, and having a large family and in-laws, mother-in-law, father-in-law, and all of that, he um, he had to stay a while and work a while in the Navy shipyard in Oakland before he could get the rest of us here in 1945, and I was nine years old when I came to um, California. <clears throat> I had um, seen a lot of, uh, of uh, prejudice and that sort of stuff, of course, because uh, there was no integration in Arkansas at that time. You know, it's, everything was marked, white only, white only, and colored, and that sort of thing. So you, you didn't drink from the same water fountain. You didn't go to the same uh, restroom. You didn't, you didn't eat in the same restaurant. It, it was different places that you had to be. You didn't ride in the front of the bus, you rode in the back, that sort of thing. So I was uh, accustomed to all of that. And we came out on the steam train, and we couldn't sit in the front of the train. We had to sit in the last two coaches until we got through uh, St. Louis. <clears throat> but we came to California and settled down in Berkeley for about three years, and and uh, we, which was integrated in a whole bit. But even at that time, the military itself was not integrated. It wasn't integrated until 1948 by Harry Truman. Um, in 1948 also, they uh, started what they called a welfare program. They took some sea rations, uh, whatever Roosevelt had used to bring the people through the Depression, and they started giving it to the women that didn't, um, that didn't have a healthy man in the house. Now, you have to understand, uh, the guys that had migrated from back east came to California and worked in the Navy shipyards and different places. They started getting laid off in 1948 when the war was, when the war was over. Completely yeah. over. Sure. They closing up the shipyards and didn't need all the stuff. And then and, and many soldiers coming back claiming they old jobs and that sort of thing. So most of the black men was out of work. They told the women, told the men, if you go back and establish yourself, they didn't say back where, but they meant back to the cotton fields, and establish yourself, we'll feed your wife and children until you are able to send for them. And so they, with these sea rations, this powdered cheese and powdered milk and powdered, all of this stuff that they was giving out. <clears throat> and they hired uh, social workers to go and look in those houses to make sure there was no able-bodied man in the house before they gave any rations to the wife and children. It broke up a lot of homes because men that couldn't feed their wife and children had to leave the house so they could eat. Uh, there was no, <laughs> it was no dis uh, what you call it, unemployment insurance or disability insurance back then. That didn't start until a little later. So they started the welfare program in 1948. 
<clears throat> broke up a lot of homes. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad said, well, we're not going to you know, go on welfare. We're going to find out why they grow cotton, and we're going to move that. And so they said, we grow cotton down in Merced County. So we moved to Dawes Palace, and that's why we came up. Uh, after high school, I didn't have any place else to go but the cotton fields, and I decided that I was going to go in the military. I was actually setting my volunteer to be drafted, setting my draft papers up until I was 18, and I went in the military. They uh, integrated the military in 1948, and I went in in 1954, just six years later. Took my training in Fort Ord with um, uh, integrated uh, camp there. The camps in the South was not integrated yet. Fort Benning, Georgia mm-hmm. was not integrated. Mm-hmm. And that's where my brother took his basic training. But anyway, after graduating, I was on um, en route to Camp Kilman, New Jersey, with uh, 55 uh, white guys that was clerk typists going to Fort Knox, Kentucky. And we stopped in Memphis, Tennessee for breakfast that morning. And it was cold because the the heater in the plane had had burned out. It was, the wires had faulted or something, but uh, the heater wasn't working in the plane. And it was really cold. We were almost froze. December 19, 1954, we stopped in Memphis, Tennessee to have breakfast. And I ran to the restaurant with a couple other guys and... You know, black guys run fast. We got, I got, I got to the restaurant, head of the rest of them. They told me to stand aside. I stood by the door. They opened the door and let the other 55 guys in. And then they closed the door and said, you got to go around to the back. And I said, that's okay. I don't want to eat. I don't have an appetite. I was from the South. Just nine years ago, I lived in Arkansas, you know. So. <clears throat> So he says, no, go around to the back, and we're going to feed you back there. I said, I'll just wait until the rest of them come out. He said, I have 56 tickets to feed 56 soldiers. Now get around to the back, and we'll feed you. Well, I felt pretty pretty bad. I I was a U.S. Army, you know, um, full-dress uniform, graduation braid on, sharpshooting badge, and a whole bit. Mm-hmm. But I had to go around and in the back and I was really angry because I felt like I was uh, a part of this country going to lay down my life for this country but I couldn't eat with the people I was going to fight for so I felt really bad did the rest of my time in the military and I got out and I went back to Dawes Palace where there was nothing to do but farm labor work and I would do farm labor work all the week but I would drink on the weekends and get in fights and just kind of raised sand, until I met Sherry, of course, and she was coming to Modesto to go to nursing school, and I um, followed her here in 1960, and we was married in 1961, Mm. and I started trying to make um, things work, but the only thing, only jobs I could get at that time was washing cars or picking fruit, so I washed cars for Bill Hughes Auto Sale, and we start having children and the whole bit. But the marches was going on back then, and Martin Luther King and all of them. In 1963, they passed uh, um, the quota law. You know, everybody that hired over seven men had to hire at least one uh, minority. 
And so we started to get jobs then. I worked in Camel Soup Company, and from there I went to United Partial Service in 1966. And in 1970, I was still drinking and fighting and kind of going crazy, but I had a wife and three kids, and I wanted to kind of straighten up my life. But uh, as I was going to church at Second Baptist uh, on Sunday and then going out to work on Monday and getting getting drunk again on Friday night, <laughs> uh, Peter Johansson came over to the church. Mm. And he asked uh, if we had some young people that would come over to First Baptist and um, join them in Bill Bright's uh, Campus Crusade Conference. Mm. And um, no one wanted to go, of course, because... First Baptist was all white, and white and black didn't go to church together. Don't go much now, but anyway, they, they, um, my my pastor's wife encouraged me to go. She kept saying, "You need to go. You need to go and see what it's all about." Peter's a good man, she called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because of Pete, I went over to the church uh, that Monday night, and they were sharing what they call a full spiritual law booklet. You know, mm-hmm. God have a wonderful mm-hmm. plan for your life. Mm-hmm. God's love, God's plan, and so on. Revelation 3.20, when I got to that part where, <clears throat> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. And I prayed to let God into my heart that night. Mm. And I asked him to do three things for me. So, Lord, if you're really in my life, give me the power to quit drinking, quit smoking, and quit uh, chasing women. And that night, I quit all three of them. And uh, I started reading the Gospel of John. I really wanted to know how to tell other people about this newfound power that I had. That that, I said, for all that have received him to them, he gave the power to become the children of God. And I wanted to share that power. And so when Pastor Yeager asked me what did I want to be, I told him, I would like to tell people about the the gospel of, of God, you know. And he said, well, you need to get a, a better education to do that. And he said, we have a, a, a extension branch from Simpson College here. If you'd like to go, we'd be glad to have you. And I said, yeah, I'd like to go. So they paid for me to go through Simpson College. Mm. And when I got my BA degree, I thanked him and I said, um, I really appreciate that now. And Thanks a lot. And he said, wait, 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 wait. He said, you got to go back and get your work permit. I said, what's work permit? He said, you got to go get an MA. He said, we have an um, extension. Uh, we have a, a deal down with uh, Mennonite Biblical Seminary in Fresno. And he said, if you want to go, we'll pay for it. I said, well, hey, I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and during the process, uh, Bill Yeager and I got to be really good friends. We, mm-hmm. we became real close, and he just kind of treated me like I was his own son. And, mm-hmm. you know, he'd take me fishing and just just anything that I, I'd ask for, he'd, he'd try to make it happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And so after I graduated, I told him that I was going to go back over to Westside and, and start to um, minister over there. And... And I went back over there, and we started a church, Sherry and I, with uh, some other people, my mother, father, and 
uh, 40 of us all together, but we started Greater True Light Baptist Church. And, uh, yes. and yes. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to buy a building about 10 minutes after, 10 months after we got in there. And when this church building came up for sale, it had been the uh, Christian Reformed Church. And uh, I went over and talked to Pastor Yeager about it. And he talked to the deacons about it. And he said, okay, we're going to give you the money to go bid on that church. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so we bid it on that church, and he co-signed a note. We had a 20-year contract, and I said, Lord, if you give me 20 years at True Light Baptist Church, I'll be on my way. When those 20 years was up, I retired <laughs> from pastoring. But the one thing that I found in, in giving up the cigarettes to drink in and all of that stuff that night at uh, First Baptist was that God also changed my heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I prayed that God would hide my enemies. I didn't mean put them behind a bush or something, but disguise them or whatever so I wouldn't have to look at them. Mm -hmm. But he hid them in a way of saying, they're not your friends. Mm -hmm. Wow. He changed my enemies Mm -hmm. and made peace with it. Mm -hmm. So I was able to walk in any church, white, black, whatever, and not be afraid Mm -hmm. because I knew God had changed my heart. I didn't see people like I used to see people. I seen people, I think, like God see people. With all their faults and with all their colors, with all their messed up ideas, they're still the greatest thing God ever created. Mm -hmm. Men. And so uh, that kind of love... I think is uh, what God really wanted me to have from the beginning. My country was no longer uh, a system that was working against me. It was just a system that had failed in many ways, but still the best country in the world. Mm-hmm. You know? Amen. You know, uh, being able to to see people with God's eyes, with his lenses, uh, you know, I, it, oftentimes I'm, I'm reminded that by God, you know what, God, I, I made that person in my image, Mike. You know, you remember that. And uh, looking at your, your eyeglasses there, uh, you know, it just seems like oftentimes very difficult for us to see other people, especially in turmoil, through God's lenses, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as an image of, of, of him. Daryl Fair, uh, man, you, you deal with a, a lot of folks with a lot of hurt. And uh, I'm just thinking on how God builds on everything, how God built on what Bill Yeager was doing and, and, and brought you into Bill Yeager's life. And I, I think it's just wonderful how God's people, when they're willing to not take credit and just do what God asks them to do, he does some powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to control you, just offered you opportunity, and God took that and just did some amazing things. It was kind of like a pebble dropped in a lake, his ripples. Mm-hmm. And, and many of us in town are, are, are benefiting from those ripples, Charlie. That uh, that uh, God dropped with you uh, here in the Modesto area, uh, Daryl. You see a lot of a lot of people, a lot of hurt. Talking about looking at them through God's lenses. What what are your thoughts there about how God causes us through His grace to see people maybe in a different light and and minister to them where we might not otherwise? Well, if you <clears throat> you know well firsthand that uh, Renaissance Christian Center is a multicultural church. We're probably about 55% white, probably 30% Hispanic, 
and maybe 10% black, and then the rest are others. So we, our philosophy is we accept anybody that comes through the doorway. And um, we have just about anybody <laughs> coming in the doorway. Um, but we work very hard um, to uh, push love. And, you know, I was talking to Pastor Wade Estes the other day, and I was like, what's your philosophy? He's, first thing is love. Just start it with love. And that's been our operating philosophy since we've been in the park um, and now inside the building is love. That's where we start. That's the basis. And uh, I tell anybody, if you have a problem with somebody in this church, you cannot get around, get along with them because of their race or their size or um, what have you. This isn't the church for you. Mm. That you need to go and find you another church where they allow uh, prejudices and, and what have you. But in our church, we cannot, we will not. And I think that's the reason why our church has the flavor that it has. We just uh, love on each other and we have fun worshiping God. And I think uh, when God, uh, we ever get, when we get to heaven, we're going to see that our uh, heaven is a multicultural, multi ethnic, um, uh, very diverse place. And all we're going to do is just worship. God. Amen. Amen to that. Just wondering, gentlemen around the table, if Dr. Martin Luther King were with us tonight, what do you suppose he would say about the progress and, and how far we have come since he was was with us? Anybody? I think he would be very pleased. We um we have come a long ways. We have come a long ways. I think Dr. Martin Luther King changed this country um, more than any other single thing without a civil war. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, put his, he put his life out there on the line, and he, he changed a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I, I could say we still have a long ways to go, but I don't think it's going to ever be perfect for any of us. But... You know, I think it's, I think we are working at it in a much different way now than we were in the days of Martin Luther King. Um, I think he opened the door for for white and black to come together a lot more. Uh, and maybe he wouldn't see the full extent of his dream, but I think he would be very pleased uh, seeing a, a black president. Um, uh, not just a uh, democratic system that um, battling for uh, equality and voting rights, but the but the whole system battling for that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Ross, and, and again, you've been in this community a long time, uh, and you've seen you've seen a lot of changes. I want to ask you in just a minute about what we need to do to stay at the table with each other because that that does help reconciliation processes that helps us uh at least identify where those cultural racial uh economic barriers are and we can't do that without getting to know each other a little bit and i think you've been one of those icebreakers in town that 
that has led the way with that. Just want to get a quick story. Uh, our friend Darius Crosby isn't here with us uh, during this broadcast, but uh, Darius and I uh, flew to uh, uh, to uh, Washington. We were going to go to Seattle, and, and we were going to talk about the community marriage policy together. I was fairly new to Modesto, and Darius and I really didn't know each other very well, and uh, we were sitting next to each other in the airplane. Uh, and it was, I think, probably the only two guys, 32,000 feet for eight hours, and we never went anywhere because they closed the airport or, or uh, there was bad weather. So anyway, we had to fly back to, uh, to San Francisco, I think it was. But we, you know, God had something in mind here, and we're sitting next to each other. And uh, I really didn't know this black brother very well. You know, but we started talking, and Darius starts to open up his life. And he's talking about how he got beat. You know, in, in L.A. by LAPD officers. He got beat in, in Fresno by police officers. And I'm, I'm shrinking now, right, because I served for 10 years as a police officer in, in uh, the San Gabriel Valley with, with Pasadena. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying, man, I can't tell him I was a cop. This guy's <laughs> he will hate me for the He will not like me. And, and you know, and I'm dreading this. And, and God says, no, no, man, you, you, you got you to gotta talk to Darius about it. So Darius is opening his heart and, and all the, you know, this pain and suffering. And I said, and in a fairly quiet voice, I said, well, Darius, you know, I I was a police officer in, in the greater Los Angeles area for, for about 10 years. And he looks over at me. He says, you got to be kidding. <laughs> and But what it did was it, it opened up a rapport, you know, and, and a relationship that's now, now, now very special. But, you know, it just speaks to, man, if we don't get to know each other and if we're not willing to just lay our stories on the table and, and be okay with that, uh, you know, God, God really gets handcuffed, I think, in what he can do in the city. And, uh, Ross, I know that, that you've seen that, you've experienced it. And let's just talk a little bit about, in the few minutes we have left, about the importance of getting to know each other in the city through our differences and how God uses that, maybe not to accomplish what we thought he was going to accomplish, but at least to build relationships and understand each other better. Michael, it's interesting that you go there right now because, Charlie, I've known for a long time, uh, I first met Charlie and Sherry at a graduation dinner whenever he was finishing his first course of study, sat across the table from him. And uh, Charlie and I have had a lot of interesting things from being roommates at a pastor's prayer summit to a lot My of... My condolences, other... Charlie, been there. <laughs> <laughs> but Charlie told me something one time a long time ago. He said, uh, in the black community... One of the things that is important, and Charlie, you can correct me if I've got this, if I remember this wrong, because when you get old, you tend to do that, you know. Well, you got you got a ways to go yet. But a long ways. He told me, he said, <laughs> in the black community, you really don't build relationships unless you put your feet underneath our table. And I happened to be sitting in his uh, dining room at the time whenever he said that, and which only goes to where I'd like to go, and that is we don't, there's there's a lack of trust. And we don't trust people that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And you don't know people till you spend time with them. Yes. And I've been walking a part of that over the last couple of years in relationships with people that I knew, but I didn't know them. And we, 
in uh, one of the ministries I'm involved with, made a commitment about four years ago that we're going to stay at the table when it was difficult to stay at the table. Mm. And we made a commitment to stay at the table. And as a result of staying at the table, getting to know people and them getting to know us, a lot of things changes. And I'll stop with this one biblical word picture. As iron sharpens iron, so one brother sharpens another. It has dawned on me in the last year, that's not about warm fuzzies. That's about sparks and friction. Yes. And, well, it's, it is what it is, but it produces something good. Mm-hmm. And so um, that kind of wanders around your question, but... Uh, it's great, great observation. Awesome. And by the way, we, we've got, you know, in God's economy, I don't think there is retirement. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think that's mm-hmm. a biblical principle. Mm-hmm. And you know, Charlie mentioned that he, he retired from Greater True Light, but Charlie is not retired. No I mean, way. God's using him no in power. Not only minister to us, younger folks, and we're learning from him, but also as a chaplain for hospice that's locally. Right. What a critical role God How has many you lives using. So that you touch, great and inspiration. Sherry touches also, and we're so glad that your feet are under our table. Stick around because we've got some food to share. And I hit the wrong button there, so we're going to hit the right button there. And we're going to say thank you for joining us. And you must come back and join us again. And dear friends, thank you for listening wherever you are. God bless your week ahead. Thanks, and join us next time.